Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of In The Zone. This is episode 93, and uh, of course, we're back here, full crew, Chris Martelli, Anthony Piniello, and uh, obviously the special visitors back. We managed to pull a few strings, get some calls in. Mikey's back on the show today. Uh, Mikey, how you doing? Doing good, boys. How you guys doing? Oh, doing great. Uh, I'm sure you watched some playoff hockey. Um, you know, the Leafs did what they do best, didn't make the playoffs, but... Uh, what did you think about the whole uh, situation with Sheldon Keefe and how he managed the roster? Well, you know, uh, I, th- I thought he did an all right job. You know, he's still a rookie, so we still got to give him some slack. But, uh, you know, I told Kiefer last year, if we're going to keep up the same habits, you know, we can win as many games as we want. But as soon as we get to the sudden death game, they're unable to close out. And that's what I told Kiefer. So what do you think about this? Like uh, Austin Matthews, everyone was complaining about him not getting enough ice time in game seven. Uh, Zachy, of course, a uh, big fan of his, and Marner. Uh, what do you think about the team's effort? Well, I mean, everyone knows about their skill, but when it comes down to it, sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do. And that's what I told Maddie and Willie and Mitchie all these times. You can score 90 fucking points a year, but if you don't get in the corners once in a while, you're not going to win. So all the credit goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets. That is a real fucking hockey team right there. Chris, all you, buddy. Uh, yeah, I uh, just wanted to ask uh, your thoughts on Nick Robertson going into the lineup. I know, uh, Mikey, that's not usually your, uh, your <laughs> that's not usually what you like doing, bringing in some young rooks, but uh, what were your thoughts on Nick Robertson's play? Well, you know what? He was one of the only guys in the series that actually showed some fucking heart. That's what a Toronto Maple Leaf should be. So when Kiefer pulled him out of the lineup, I said, hey, I wouldn't have done that. And then they lost the game there. So you know what? Nicky Robertson may have cost him in the series. If he would have played, the Leafs would be playing the fucking Lightning right now. All right. Thanks, Mikey. <laughs> well, anytime, boys. Appreciate it. Oh, that was great to hear. Back at that cottage. Managed to get him at a good time. Uh, Piniello, you're here. Uh, we want to just get your thoughts because we didn't get to uh, ask you last week. But what are your thoughts on the Leafs series? What changes would you want to see made? Ooh, has been hearing a lot like they gotta fuck with the core like i mean everyone just assumes nylander because like everyone's like matthews marner it's untouchable but um i think we need to still remember that these guys are only like 22 23 years old like i think we just need to look at the big picture here i don't want them to blow everything up and start making all of these big changes like to me i'm just sticking with the process and i'm like i'm still i'm doing things on the fly i'm not doing anything drastic just yeah yeah and chris like last week we were talking about uh frederick anderson you raised that question of what you do with him and a lot of people are talking about robin leonard as a potential i guess suit big good fit for the team he's always on those one-year deals where he's flourished the last two years but is that a guy you would look at long term if you're uh sheldon keith and uh cal dubas uh i mean long term I think our goaltending is pretty, pretty solid. I mean, Joe's, uh, Joe, we got we got Wall and we got uh, Ian Scott. I think those two guys can be pretty good in the future. Uh, Robin Leonard, I think the shoe fits well if if Dubas wants to go all in on that. Uh, Freddie Anderson is probably going to want seven million or more, and I don't see the Leafs being able to. Uh, pay Freddie. So I think Robin Leonard would be a good option. But again, I don't see him signing over like a two year deal. And 
I think a lot of hardcore Leaf fans may scratch their head at that because Leonard's, I think, 29, 30, relatively the same age as as Freddie. But it just depends on uh, on the salary cap situation. I know for now, that's why we always talk about the core because the core has all of our salary. I mean, Tavares, Marner, Matthews, uh, even Riley is a free agent next year, and I'm very worried about that. So um, I think in the long run, they, like I said last week, Alino, this offseason, they have to make some big, big decisions in terms of not even like blowing the team up. You just have to look at the salary and you need to – really juggle even like if that means trading a couple big minor league stars like Bracco and like Adam Brooks and other guys like that that have really really proven that they could maybe play in the NHL maybe you could trade them you you will probably have to trade a cap and enter a Kerfoot too so um I think the Leafs have a lot of work to do but Robin Leonard is definitely an option that I would keep an eye on for sure if I'm Kyle Dubas I think um, I think regardless, just when you look at the contracts, especially on defense, like Tyson, the team's going to look pretty different regardless, just because Tyson Berry should be on his way out. I think he probably played himself out of like the eight, nine million dollar range he was projected to get because he just did not have a good year at all. And then we got Cody Cece, who's probably on his way out. So you, we're probably going to look younger next year. Is it uh, time for Sandine and maybe Logren to step in there? So. We'll see what happens, boys. Yeah, just looking at their team, like, you can't really... A lot of people are saying rebuild and, like, <laughs> trade everyone, but, like, this team is basically the rebuilt version of a rebuild. So, like, you can just retool, like, Yance and Kapanen. Those are, like, $3 million cap hits you can move. On the back, you're losing CeCe's $4 million, thank God, unless they want to re-sign them. I hope not, but... Uh, and then Barry... I, the only place I can see him even really getting a good contract is on a team that's on the outside looking in, like in Ottawa. Uh, maybe if he wants to go out west to Edmonton, if they want to put him on their roster. But I I think his time in Toronto is done. Overall, like, is it just a need on defense, or do you think they're just going to plot some guys in? I know they got a KHL guy coming in. Like, Do you really need to make a big trade, or is it just uh, from within the organization? I'll start with a pin yellow on this one. I think you got to just, just go within the organization. I think we're in a position now where, like, they're tr- trading first-round picks comfortably. Like, they had to, last year, to, they attached one to Marlowe 6.5 just to get rid of his contract. So we're already playing ourselves into those situations. You have guys like Sandine and Milgren, they're ready to make the jump. Trade for a top-four deal. Oh. Yeah, Alino. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of your question, I think uh, this has been talked about for like a year and a half now. In terms of you go to free agency, you go to the trade deadline. You need that defenseman. I don't really care what it takes to get him. We need a defenseman. Morgan Riley is a UFA next year, and this guy has had no help for four years on this team. And I think it's about time we finally get a defenseman that could actually help this guy so he can, you know, pinch almost every game, you know, adapt to his game. He doesn't have to play the defensive end as much. We all know Morgan Riley is not a great defensive defenseman. Everybody knows that. His defense has gotten better, but he's not a great defensive defenseman. He's an, he's, I think he's an elite offensive defenseman. So you need to build 
you need to get a player in there that could just benefit his game. And the Leafs have not done that yet. Tyson Berry, I thought, was the guy that can, you know, it would be the opposite. I thought maybe Morgan Riley could improve on his defensive game this year and you could have Tyson Berry, you know, man the power play on the first unit. That didn't happen. Jake Muzzin's been in and out of the lineup all season. He was great when healthy, but he's not that guy anymore. So I think the Leafs, they need to make a trade, man. And it's simple. I think you need to look for that defensive D like a lot of teams have in the West that are maybe scratching top four, top six D. And I don't mean Petrangelo. When everyone says get a D, they mean Petrangelo. And we we can't afford it. So we got to get that out of our heads. I, I was saying to Alino, I think last week or two weeks ago, Every time it comes to free agency, just Leaf fans think of the biggest name possible. Like they like that year they, that year they thought of Stamkos. They thought we were going to get him. The other year, I'm pretty sure I heard Subban and Yossi. So like it's just it's ridiculous how this fan base just assumes we have all the money in the world, we can just afford anybody, and that's just not the case. So and again, do you really think teams want to actually play in Toronto, at least right now? I don't think so. We haven't had a winning culture in a long time. I know there's a lot of guys in the league that are from Toronto and they want to maybe play here. But in the back of their minds, this team is not structured to win a cup, at least not yet. And I think that starts with getting a pretty good defenseman, but not Petrangelo because we can't afford him. So if I'm the Leafs, I'm probably going out. I'm looking at every team's depth chart. And I may be eyeing their third or fourth defenseman and maybe their top defensive defenseman. Pinello, we've been saying for years that the Leafs should maybe get a Chris Tanev, but maybe a Marco Scandella. Someone like that, that just they just shut the other team down. And you could just have Morgan Riley, especially now if Rasmus Sandin, if he becomes that two-way defenseman that we all hope and dream of, then maybe we won't have this problem in a year or two. But right now, we need that player. We need that Scandella. We need that Tanev. We need someone like that to help Riley push the puck up the ice and benefit from his game. What type of deal would you be looking for, though? Because I'm thinking of like on, along the lines of a Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones. I don't want to package a bunch of guys to maybe to get like a Jake Muzzin like we did last time. You think for the Leafs to kind of shake things up, they would do like a like a Nylander for another D? You think they would do that? Because I don't think they're getting one in free agency, honestly. I think, yeah, I think the best case scenario is you look at the teams that have the biggest depth. So, like, you look at Calgary, you look at Carolina, you look at teams maybe even like St. Louis. You could, I mean, we've been saying for years, maybe you could grab Pareko. Um, I think that would be a big trade. Like you said, like, everyone assumes Nylander. Um, I think that's a perfect option. Uh, again, you guys can agree or disagree with me on that, but would you guys maybe like a Nylander for Pareko? I know the value probably isn't the same. But I feel like Pareko would be a perfect fit with a guy like O'Reilly. I think that would absolutely be tremendous. But what do you guys think? Because, again, like it's really hard to also um, acknowledge and see what everyone's value is. Like We don't know what St. Louis sees in Nylander. We don't know what Arizona sees in Nylander. All we know is they probably appreciate his game. He's a skilled winger. And, uh, I, I, again, like they, they just won the championship. They won the Stanley Cup. So I really don't know if they want to trade a guy like a Pareko or like a Bortuzzo or I don't know, like that defensive type D. But yeah, Alino, uh, Pinel, that's a good question. I really don't know. Like those deals don't happen often. Like the one-on-one for one superstar, like those just don't happen often. 
And like, yes, we saw Subban for Weber and we saw Johansson, you know, for, for, uh, for Jones, like, but those deals just, they rarely happen. And I guarantee you those phone calls are literally like two minutes. Like they're not long at all. It's like, okay, we have that need for the back end and Seth Jones. You have that need for the center in Johansson. We'll do that trade right now. And um, both of them are under 26, whatever. Let's let's pull the trigger. So I think as well, you have to look at the age gap with players. Pareko, I think, is 20, 27, 28, and Nylander's 24. So I think, that, again, I think it's just up to how these teams value their players. Yeah, I agree there. If you're going with a defenseman, I don't know. I think the Johansson one, if Columbus, not Columbus, if Nashville had that again, I don't think they'd do that, knowing what they do. I think Seth Jones was a steal for Columbus, but in terms of Toronto, like, I think it would have to be Nylander, right? If you're trading for a defenseman like that? Yeah. Maybe. Um, you know what? Like Nylander, when you look at his value on our team, it's not worth it. We're just, it's too much. We got too much to deal with. But like for a guy that's going to score around 30 goals, 60 to 70 points, making just south of $7 million, like that. That's a fucking good contract. Teams would definitely eat that up. But I respect those 1v1s. You don't see them often, but I know we we joke about it over the years, but the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, I, I respect that now because that's like, that's a culture shock. You're trying to change shit up. Can you imagine if the Leafs traded Mitch Marner instead and they got a fucking top three defenseman back? Like that's, I respect those moves. Those are tough to pull off. Oh yeah, no, no. Like if it were if it were to be like a Mitch Marner, I would anticipate like a top ten defenseman in the NHL. Um, you got to look, but like again, I know it's Mitch Marner. I know he's a he's a wonder kid. He's he's a wizard with the puck. But you got to look at his salary, man. Like I know teams like they look at like guys like Marner and they lick their lips, like they want him on their team. But man, like at that contract, like I'm looking at that and like that just ah. Uh, 10 point was it 10.6 like it to me that's ridiculous he didn't really prove himself like last year was his best year he had i think 90 points last year and he was amazing in the postseason blocking shots but i feel like the contract kind of got into his head a bit this year we saw at times he took his foot off the gas this postseason he didn't get a goal and that really ate him inside and i'm hoping that this actually motivates him even more next year because marner is a great player but like when you compare like one-on-one one-on-one deals like you, you compared taylor hall's uh one-on-one deal i think at the time he was getting paid like six and a half and johansson was getting around the same so if you're gonna do a one-on-one and mitch marner's involved at a 10.6 million dollar contract i guarantee you that defenseman has to be golden because if it's not golden then i don't care if there's a culture shock or not it's not worth it if if the defenseman is not golden. So I do appreciate what what Chirelli did. You know, he traded for Adam Larson. You know, you do that. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Look what happened with David Poyle trading PK Subban. That looks like an absolute monster move right now. I know the defense that they got back are not PK Subban level, but if this is the PK Subban that we're going to be getting used to then I think it was best that Nashville parted ways with him. So, again, it's great to do a culture change, but I'd, I'm not trading Marner. I mean, I don't think that's that's even possible at this point in time. Yeah, so in terms of uh, Stanley Cup playoffs now, we're in this opening round. Uh, to me, I think like Arizona, Colorado has been a good series. I think Columbus and Tampa has been probably the best series, in my opinion. Uh, which series are you both enjoying uh, the most? and 
which one do you think has a potential of uh, making that winner be a favorite going into the finals? Uh, we'll start off with Chris on this one. Uh, oh, I said it before the pod went up. I'm going Vancouver, St. Louis. I think what I watched the first three games in that series. I actually missed game four. Uh, but man, like the first two games, that was probably the biggest eye opening get two games that I've watched all year. I mean, I don't watch a lot of Vancouver games cause we all know we're in Toronto and the time change. So it's a little later, but man, like this team, like if you asked me about Vancouver, like two, three years ago when they were really, really shit. And like you said, Oh, do you think this rebuild is gonna like amplify and like make this team amazing in like two, three years, I would have said you're out of your mind, but like looking at the pieces that they actually acquired, like the, What's the, I don't I forget is it Jim Benning is that the GM there because there was like a time where everybody made fun of that GM everybody chirped him they said every trade that he made was terrible and then all of a sudden it's like he snapped out of it and he woke up he gets J T Miller from Tampa Bay and this guy this year Alino I know you praised him you had him in your top ten centers this year this guy was a monster. He was a point of game this year. The confidence was there. A lot of people, they took to Twitter. They brought up old tweets saying that Vancouver was, you know, like it was a laughable trade. Why would you get JT Miller? This guy has arguably been their best player all year. And then you got Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser. These guys are under 24 years old and they're all already looking like superstars. And then, of course, you can't forget Bo Horvat. This guy already has six goals in the postseason. And he's quite frankly my breakout star right now in this postseason. So, and how about Yaka Markstrom, guys? Did you guys actually expect this guy to be this good? I didn't. So, um, the first two games were eye opening. They really took it to St. Louis. Now, the series is tied 2 2. Again, it is the defending Stanley Cup champs. They're not going to go down without a fight. But yeah, uh, I got Vancouver. I think the winner of this series is going to easily go to the conference finals. So, I'm hoping, uh, Vancouver goes through. I am enjoying Colorado, Arizona, as funny as that sounds. I just love watching Colorado play. Like everything they do, I feel like the Leafs should be on track to that. That's what they should be doing, the way Colorado plays. Uh, just seeing all their young players and McKinnon and McCarr and how they're coming together. Um, I know it's a, it's kind of a tricky year, but when you look at the standings and like the brackets and all that, and I I feel like Colorado has a chance to go pretty far. <laughs> Them and uh, Vegas are possibly conference final matchup for me. So love the way they're playing. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Renton. I feel like that top line alone can drag them there. Yeah, that's uh, some great series there. Always good to see uh, Nate the Great show out. Uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl should have been in that spot. But of course, Edmonton. <laughs> so <laughs> on to the NBA. They got things kicked off. We saw Orlando upset uh, Milwaukee, just like they did to the Raptors last year. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people are making a big deal about it. Maybe Orlando pulls up another upset and can go two up. Uh, the Raptors are up one nothing, But a uh, huge surprise, Portland, Dame Lillard, put some respect on that name, one nothing over the Lakers now after last night's win. What are your thoughts on this whole Lakers-Blazers matchup? Oh, man. Uh, 
I was saying to my brother last night, this is worst case scenario for LeBron and the Lakers. And they knew what they were getting themselves into. Uh, I knew as soon as I saw like what Portland was doing, maybe like two, three weeks ago, I knew that they would get the eighth spot. I, when it, when it came down to the Suns, the trailblazers and the Grizzlies, I just knew the trailblazers would be the team to get it. Uh, I knew the Suns were, you know, they were eight and no, they were outstanding in the bubble. Devin Booker was just on a different planet, but yeah, man, like last night, the Lakers could not shoot a three to save their life. LeBron James was dominating everywhere on the court. He had a triple-double almost at halftime. So that just proves how how often he has the ball. Uh, you know who actually has to be better for them is Danny Green. I mean, this guy last year for the Raptors, he was incredible. I think it was game three in the finals. He had like 28 points. Uh, this guy has to be a little more consistent. He's a guy that, yes, he's been known as a guy that will lead you to the promised land because that's just in his resume. He was on the Spurs. They went, he's got chips. He went to the Raps, got chip. So it's just in Danny Green's DNA. I think he has to step it up a little more. And even yesterday, what I saw from Dwight Howard was just flat out disappointing. He didn't really do anything yesterday. I was anticipating him to maybe have a nice one-on-one -on -one war in the paint with a Nurkic and a white side. But Whiteside just absolutely bullied him yesterday. So um, my thought, my thoughts on the game, I, I, I'm not really surprised with the end result. McCollum and, and Lillard, their shots were dropping when they had to. And uh, I think, you know, Anthony Davis has to show out a little more. I, I have a little bit of an extra gear in the fourth quarter. But other than that, I, I think the Lakers are still going to take Portland. I got the Lakers in seven. This is going to be wild. Crazy offense. Portland basically just tries to outscore you every game. So LeBron and AD, they'll get their numbers. But you mentioned Danny Green. Kyle Kuzma only had like 14 or 15 points. He only made one three. Caruso only put up one bucket in half an hour of play. Like if they don't get these other guys to step up, I would not be surprised if Portland took the series. I'm going Portland in six. <laughs> Can you imagine if they eliminate the Lakers, especially after all this? Uh, ruckus they caused and the free agency with Kawhi and then they missed out on him go get Danny Green J.R. Smith comes in later Dwight Howard uh, so I guess if you're the Lakers what do you do if Portland beats you in six or five or even sweep in the first round again if I'm LeBron I'm not too worried again you gotta remember man this is completely different this is virtual fans there's no fans there and some players play better when there's momentum and when fans are in the building. And I think that's literally LeBron James. I think he's literally letting this get to his head a bit because I have seen interviews where people keep asking him. They're like, oh, like we all know how you are in the playoffs. You know, you, you've gravitated towards the fans for so many years, so many buzzer beaters. How is this playoffs different than last year? And his response was, this is probably the hardest playoff I've had to play through because it's an empty arena. And I think that's finally getting to LeBron. Whereas I think the team like Portland, what they've had to go through to get to the spot they're at, they're really not focusing on who's around them. They're just, they see a bucket in front of them and they want to score the basket. I think that's the difference between LeBron and AD and, and Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. They're so ahead of the, of just basketball as a sport that they're now looked at as cultural figures. So they're going to be asked those questions Whereas Dame Lillard gets asked, well, how did you how did you manage to drop 60? It's not more about what's around him. It's about what he does. 
but LeBron has passed that. He, he's, he's passed basketball. We all know that. LeBron James is LeBron James. So people will start asking him, hey, you know, how does it feel playing in an empty arena? And he starts by saying, this is going to be the hardest playoff run that I've had to go through. So I think right there, that says, you know, how different this playoff is. That he, like even with Milwaukee losing game one, I'm not surprised at all. Again, like you think you think of a guy like Giannis, where almost every other play he's dunking, and if you're at home, the fans are losing their shit. So again, I think fans have a big part of uh, of of any sport in general. I know hockey; it's a little bit different. They're a lot more focused. You know, like the game's not as slow, but like I mean, not not as slow, but like hockey players, they don't have time, you know, to look around as often, like in the in the stands. Whereas NBA players, like you're dribbling, you could literally look in the stands whenever you want. So I think the fan base is a big part of why maybe the Lakers will lose. I don't want to give this team a pass and give them excuses why they're losing. I'm just saying, um, I think that could be a big reason why we may be we may see a couple upsets in this postseason is because there's no fans. What are the chances of Orlando taking this series? <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> I'll say I'll say thirty five percent. I'll say thirty five percent. Go twelve. So much higher than I thought. I'll go fifteen. Oh man! I like that example though. In game one, like if you're not on your A game, like any team could really show you up. And like Evan Fournier didn't make a bucket the whole fucking game, and you got hot late in the fourth, and then just like that, they they took it. So that was fun. I love seeing that. Well, yeah, even like Vucevic, the beginning of the game, he came out, he dropped seven points in the first two minutes. So, like, when you're hot and if you're and if your foot's off the gas, it's playoff basketball. So, I think he's in a drive anyway. And you got to remember, this is this is kind of a different team than last year. They got a little bit more of a star power, just a little more. Like, not they're not crazy Orlando by any means, but I, I think you know, Aaron Gordon has matured after that one year. Terrence. T. Ross, I think, man, like he's an underrated scorer. It's gotten to that point where it's like, okay, you can't leave this guy open. He can shoot the basketball. He can shoot threes. And then, of course, Vucevic, we all know him. He's, he, when healthy, he's potentially an all-star every single year. And then, of course, guys, we forgot the first overall pick, Markel Fultz. He's healthy. He's looked pretty damn solid. Um, but a guy that has to step up in that series, and I've, we've been saying this for like at least a year now, is Eric Bledsoe. He has to step up. If 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 the Bucks want to like really do damage in the East, I think Bledsoe has to be. It's kind of like with Kuzma, like the pressure is relatively the same. Bledsoe has to be their third best player if they want to be successful, and Kuzma has to be the Lakers' third best player if the Lakers want to be successful. So last night, I think Markel Fultz outplayed Bledsoe, and I think that's just literally why they lost the game. Yeah, if you're looking at that as Safe to say, Raptors are still uh, Boston is like the likely finalist in the East, or are you still giving Milwaukee that love and that respect to go to the final? Would uh, we um, we matching up with Boston second round? Yeah, we were, yeah. <laughs> you started it off, bud. Uh, I think I think it's gonna be the Bucks and the Raptors or the Bucks. Sorry, Bucks Celtics. I, I love the Raps. Uh, um, I don't know, man. Like what I saw in Game One with JT and JB. Oh my God, man, they look terrifying. Like I don't want to face the Celtics 
at all. Like I want if like if I'm Miami, I am so so happy and so relieved because the Heat, if they beat the Pacers, they have the Bucks number, and I could maybe see the Heat taking like taking maybe three games. I don't know if they could beat the Bucks in a seven game series, but. I think kind of like Portland and LA, it could probably go either way. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Miami won, but man, like what I saw from JT and JB and then you have Kemba, it's just not looking good. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think the Celtics, I was saying this to a couple of my coworkers. I think the Celtics, man, they might be the hardest team to beat in a seven game series in the East. It's between us and the Raptors. I mean, it's, but yeah, it's between us and the Celtics. Like the, the, I think us and the Celtics are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. I think we're the more consistent team, as crazy as at least since the bubble started. So um, if Milwaukee, if they get their stride, uh, you know, anything's possible. But um, if, if I'm the Heat, I'm, I'm, I'm begging and I'm praying that they beat the, Heat, the Pacers just so they can face the Bucks and not the Raps of the Celtics. So for um, for conference finals, I'll just take Milwaukee, Toronto. I like I like our matchup against Boston. I know you got their wing players are fucking terrifying, like you said, and Tatum and Brown. And I'm so proud of Hayward for coming back to life now. But um, I just think we're much deeper. I just, I don't know. I don't think Boston has enough with Kemba not playing too. And you know we have that championship experience. Like I got the it'll be a tough one, but I'll take the Raptors in seven if that's the case. No. Yeah, I agree Yeah, should be a good one. Because then Milwaukee would be... They do have Milwaukee's number, even though they don't have Kawhi. I think that's just uh, the recency bias in me. I'm going to go with Toronto, but should be a fun one. At least the East the next year will be probably one of the most exciting runs of playoffs because you got KD back, Kyrie back in Brooklyn. So that should balance things out in terms of who the best teams are in the Eastern Conference. Alino, I got two questions for you guys. So we're all assuming that the Sixers are losing to the Celtics. So, Pinello, I guess we'll start with you. What do the Sixers have to do in order to be successful? And are you trading one of Embiid or Simmons this offseason? No, I am not trading either of them, if I'm being honest with you. You got to get that big fuck in the paint, and he's just got to dominate. On like they don't have enough, man. Like even with Ben Simmons, that's a tough matchup for Boston. But like, Embiid's your best bet. He's you just got to throw the ball to him. He's got to put up AD numbers. He's got to go forty and fucking twenty every night in order for the 76ers to win. And Tobias Harris has got to start making some consistent threes. Yeah, I'm just giving the ball to Embiid. That's my only play. I'm not doing anything else. No three point shooting. Just give the ball to Embiid. Give him full reign to do whatever he wants because he's the only guy that the Celtics don't have a matchup for. He's probably the most dominant player when he's motivated and when he's on. So that's the play I'm running with. And then Horford off the bench. But in terms of trading them, I think it's with Simmons getting hurt, you can't really evaluate how they would have done with Simmons at power forward and Embiid at center. I think they'll give it another six months. And then maybe, maybe... I want to say maybe trade deadline. If things aren't going well for them, they'll make like a huge trade. Uh, if they're on the outside looking in, if they end up going on a losing streak, maybe before the trade deadline, but I think they'll still start the year with those two on the same roster. Okay, and last question for you, Alino. You say Lakers are out by Portland. Who do you have going in the West? 
I'm gonna go with the Clippers still. Just uh, I think Kawhi is too good to really count out. Uh, I think they do beat Denver if they match up with them. I think that's a better matchup for them. But going forward, I think Portland might run into some trouble with uh, a more like a squad that has a lot more depth defensively. The Lakers right now, their problem is Danny Green. He's not really consistent at times. It's really hurting them. So they play a more consistent roster, one with a lot of depth defensively. I think they'll have more problems. All right. Um, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Hello, do you have anything to add to that? No, I pretty much had the Clippers all year. Um, yeah, Kawhi with his low management had the last five months off, so he's good to go. Paul George. <laughs> Uh, he was amazing in the first game against Dallas, so that that's very comforting to see from him. Uh, Porzingis getting ejected, which a little side note is fucking ridiculous, but the Clippers are just so deep. Uh, I can't really go against them. I've had them all year, so I got to stick with them. All right. Yeah, I think Denver, though, like that's a low-key team, though, if they get hot. Could uh, potentially do something, but the way they played Utah... I don't know, Donovan Mitchell getting 57. You're leaving uh, a lot of exposure in your defensive playbook. So they got to tighten up over there. But I think Denver would be a huge uh, underdog. It's crazy to say because they've been like top three for the last two years. But I think they'd be like an under-the-radar team out of uh, the Clippers. But still going to go to the Clippers there. I love it. All righty. On to the ring now. The Thunderdome is going to host <laughs> Friday Night SmackDown. And all the pay-per-views, Monday Night Raw for the next month. Going into SummerSlam, doesn't really feel like it. It usually has that big event feel. This year kind of feels like another pay-per-view. We got some matches here on the card. I won't go through all of them because uh, some of them are a train wreck. But uh, what match are you looking forward to most? And uh, what do you think can steal the show? Uh, start off with Chris. Um, this is pretty obvious for me. It's Randy and Drew. Uh when when okay when Edge and Randy started and everyone was kind of bashing it because oh look it's two forty something year olds and they're going at it and you know you know how we've been time and time again on this show where we say you know nostalgia mania cut it out you know don't don't bring back part timers you know try and you know elevate the guys that have been you know working to get to that spot and work to become a main eventer. But man, I don't know what's gone. Every ever since January, when they connected at the Rumble, I knew that that would light something under Randy. And Randy, ever since, has been for me superstar of the year. Uh, I, I think I think his heel run with Ric Flair is going to be absolutely amazing. If I know he turned, well, I know he turned on Flair now, but um, I still think that this match is going to be outstanding. The, the match that we saw with Drew uh, and Seth, I think it was at Extreme Rules or the period before that. That was great. So I think they need to bring back that aggressive Drew McIntyre in this match. I would maybe do no holds barred. I don't think it is, though. I think it's a singles match. But I would do a no holds barred. And, I, I of course, like we said before the pod, Randy Orton, buddy, he's going to be a 10-time champ. I think he's beating Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. Some people may be saying it's too soon. I think it's the right call right now, as Randy is the hottest in the company. So I'm most excited for that match, Drew and Randy. But the one that I think will steal the show will be Seth Rollins versus Dominic. <laughs> I, th this one, this one has just been building over the last fucking two months, probably. It's getting very personal. 
seen a different side to Dominic. He's just whipping Seth with kendo sticks every fucking week. Him and Buddy, get Buddy in there, got to whip him too. It's just going to be a brawl. Seth's probably going to ragdoll him a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you're probably going to see the 619. It's going to be a lot of nostalgia in there. So I'm happy this is at SummerSlam, even though it doesn't feel like SummerSlam, like we said, but very excited for to see Dominic. Oh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that's going to steal the show. That's going to be a match of the night. I'm looking forward to that most because they've actually, like, it was a long-term build for this match ever since WrestleMania, the night after. It's kind of been, like, Rey Mysterio going after Seth, and then after a the couple months there, takes his eyeball out. Uh, Dominic wants to get some revenge for his papa. Uh, and then after he comes in, he challenges Seth. We got that match. I'm looking forward to that. I think, uh, Dominic's going to surprise everyone how good he is. I think he could be a prodigy because uh, they don't just throw these second, third generation guys in the ring for no training. If that was the case, we would have saw The Rock's daughter as soon as she known that snapmare suplex would have been in the main event <laughs> of WrestleMania. So uh, I think Dominic is well-prepared, well-trained. He's going to put on a show. Uh, another match that might actually surprise some people might be a disaster. Uh, Braun Strowman and The Fiend. Uh, this new side of Braun a little bit as uh, catching some people off guard, showing more of like a heel side to him. Do you see Otis coming in the ring and cashing in the money in the bank to turn Braun heel? Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, uh, I'll go no on that one. I think for Otis, that would just, what a sight if he were to come out during those two killers matches. I just don't think it looks right. I don't know. I don't know what they do going forward, but um, I'm kind of feeling Braun. Like, he shaved his head. He's trying to switch things up. You can try to tell that they're, they're trying to change the page with him or something. So I'm, I'm more excited than I was for their last match, I guess. I'll say that. Pinello, you know what I'm going to say. You already know what I'm going to say. You already know what I'm going to say. It, are we are we going to see a double turn? <laughs> Uh, here we go. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Nah, but Braun Strowman, though, I, I do like what he's done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually wins here. Uh, call me crazy, but I wouldn't be surprised. He's already had the belt for three, four months. Um, Alexa Bliss, I guess, is with The Fiend now, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but again, do you think maybe that was planned? Would you? Because I could maybe see Bliss again going with Strowman and they can be like a heel pairing going forward. I think that would be fun, but um, I got Braun retaining, believe it or not. I think uh, if, okay, if both main titles change hands, that would be pretty awesome. But if there was one that had to stay, I think Braun has the better chance of keeping the belt after SummerSlam. I think Randy, I think, I just think it's his time. I think this is perfect timing. Um, it is SummerSlam. It's a big four pay-per-view. I just think Randy has to get the win here. So I'll say Braun retains, and I'm also more excited for their match this time around because that swap match to me uh, was a big flop. Um, the two women's matches on here, like Sasha versus Asuka and then Bailey versus Asuka, there's probably going to be some fuckery going around in those two matches. If oh, there man. weren't, though, that I would say that would probably steal the show, wouldn't you think, if they gave that time? Easily, yeah. Then there's really a hair just, versus hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's been good. 
how long have they been going at it, Mandy and Sonia, since like, before me? Yeah, like it's been a while. It's been building uh, the next big pay-per-view, SummerSlam, and they're still going at it. They're doing some good work. It should be a fun one. Oh, yeah. In terms of uh, WWE, this is what's weird. They have payback a week after WrestleMania on the Sunday. So I don't know what the hell they're going to be doing there. Uh, an interesting scenario that I was just thinking about. Uh, Monday Night Raw, let's say Randy Orton wins a title. Uh, had Ric Flair maybe come out and screw Drew McIntyre over. Him and Randy planned it because you know how their minds work. What if uh, our buddy Bork, we haven't seen him in a while, strolls back into the Thunderdome now that there's a big arena for Bork. This one probably like the Performance Center. He comes in and we get a triple threat. Not at payback, but like maybe the next pay-per-view. And they have Orton as a heel, Drew as a face, and Brock more in between, which would be uh, in favor of that. Of course. That would be... The last triple threat match that we saw from Brock was was outstanding. The last... Remember the... Remember the triple threat with Brock, Cena, and Rollins? That was outstanding. So if we're going to get something like that, I'm all in for it. That's a that's Randy slithering in there and picking up the win after Drew and Brock just fucking kill. But those given where all their characters kind of are now, oh my god, that would be a monstrous main event. I would I'm so down for that. Yeah, and then in terms of let's see, what else do they have here? I'm trying to think of what else they can do with the Fiend and Braun, like. I don't know, unless they have something different. That Retribution group uh, looks like they're going to be both brands, which is weird. But if they end up being, like, let's say Tommaso Ciampa is the one who's the leader of this, do you think he'd be a better fit for Raw or SmackDown? I was obligated to say SmackDown. Just just for the pure ass. I want to send him to SmackDown. <laughs> Take it, buddy. Yeah, I agree. I'm. Ta- I'm. Uh, he's going to SmackDown. I think that's that's the better fit. Um, a lot of people are saying Raw because there's that you know fantasy, not fantasy. We we actually saw it a year ago, but everyone wants to see Choppa versus uh, Alistair Black on the main roster. I think that would be an absolute treat, but. Uh, yeah, I got Ciampa going to SmackDown if, if that were to happen. I, I could easily see himself maybe going, inserting himself in a feud with maybe like a Sheamus. You know, Sheamus can put him over right away and he can maybe start getting his feet wet and start rolling. Um, I just think there's a lot more veteran leadership on SmackDown and play and and wrestlers that can, you know, take the losses. Even like a guy like a Cesaro, maybe a Shinsuke could take a loss. A Daniel Bryan, like there's a lot of names on SmackDown that can put over talent, and I think that would be a great first program for Ciampa. I, I, if I was actually in WWE, I think I would book that Sheamus versus Ciampa for like a first pay per view type match. I think that would be awesome. I get a, I get an aces and eights vibe every time I see these guys come out. I don't know about you, Alino. Yeah, I'm with <laughs> you. Oh and shit! Speaking of. Yeah. Speaking of TNA over there, Impact, we got Abyss, Joseph Park. He's uh, on AJ Styles' committee there. He's a stats person, whatever the hell they're calling him, piss or something. I don't know what that stands for, but 
Uh, we got Joseph Park in the fold. What do you think about this pairing of AJ and Abyss? <laughs> I never thought I'd see it in the WWE in 2020. This is just, it's like when Randy mentioned Dixie Carter and everyone lost their fucking, this is just another step up. It's, I like it for AJ. He's got, he's got a little manager now ever since the OC fucking bounced. Uh, he's got the, <laughs> he's got the analytics angle he's got the statistics the whiteboard it's it's funny stuff for aj so him is the ic champ but he's rolling right now keep it up on smackdown bud yeah uh every, everything Daniello said yeah i agree i think that's it i think it's perfect uh it's something fresh we haven't seen something fresh out of aj i'd say make cape well the undertaker stuff was hilarious that was awesome but before that it was kind of getting to that point where it's like all right, we know you're a badass heel. We know you steal the show, but you got to do something different here. And this is definitely the right direction. Like even the stuff that they were doing, like look at like look at what Sheamus was doing like two months ago with Jeff Hardy. I was worried that AJ was going to get into that territory where it's like you have to do almost anything different to like just, you know, be significant. And like I never thought in a million years I'd see Sheamus in, in that type of storyline with the drugs and, you know, bringing up Jeff's past for the trillionth time. But I'm, I'm so happy that, that, you know, Abyss is now on SmackDown, you know, he's jumping the ship and then you have AJ, you know, um, really at this point in his career, doesn't need a manager, but it, it's just, it, the shoe fits perfectly. They've had that great history in TNA come back full circle. Now they're dominating the WWE. AJ, for me, you guys all know I love him. I think he needs another WWE title run. But right now, what he's doing with the IC title, it, it, it hits too close to home. So it's it's been a home run so far, and uh, hopefully AJ can keep it rolling. Yeah, so that's uh, SummerSlam. Uh, that's this Sunday. Anything else uh, you guys want to talk about, about wrestling? Yeah. Fuck. Uh, Where's Finn Balor? <laughs> Black and yellow brand, I think. Yeah. <laughs> do you like okay. the, uh, do you see the Raw Underground that they've been doing? Oh, yeah. It's been interesting. What do you think about that? I kind of dig it. Yeah, I like it. Different. Shane O'Mac in charge. Yeah, <laughs> like it. <laughs> WCW 2001. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, episode 93. 